Sing Second Sports is a ProVision Advisors production. Let us solve your toughest communication problems and leave your team stronger and more capable for the challenges that lie ahead. Visit www.provisionadvisors.net to learn more. All right. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Sing Second Sports Podcast. I am your host, John Schofield. Joining me is Bill Wagner of the Capital Gazette, and Chris Cervello is our producer on this week's pod. Really happy to get audio from the very first spring football press conference between uh, Coach Kenny Niamatololo and the Assembled Press. Also, get some audio from Ty Lavatai, the returning starting quarterback coming off of his victory over Army. Spring has sprung, and with that comes a lot more action, a lot more stuff. Some Naval Academy careers wrapping up, some of them just really getting started and making a mark. And we are going to start with wrestling. Wags and I broke this down a little bit last week. We were previewing uh, Cotterhant, Kozer, and Sir Niglia going to NCAAs in scenic Detroit, and they are back, and we can give you those results. Josh Cotterhand, the plebe, uh, opened the competition with a 5-4 victory over the number 17-seeded Hayden Drury of Utah Valley, but then bowed out of the tournament on Friday with a 6-0 loss to number 18-seed Joseph Hellman of the North Carolina Tar Heels. Uh, the plebe closed out his career, or his plebe year, with a 26-9 and record that included his second-place finish at the EIWA. So hats off to Josh Cotterhand on a really good career. The tournament also came to a close for Jacob Kozer, who earned his first career NCAA championship victory on Thursday evening with a 12-0 rout over Ben Smith of Cleveland State. But then he also lost in his next match to Greg Bolzak of Rutgers 8-0. He also finished the year with a 26-9 record. And then fellow two-time NCAA qualifier Andrew Cerniglia, he was eliminated from the tournament Thursday evening, followed by or following a pair of losses. Both of them are tight, a combined five points, but still two losses. Wags, as Kerry Colat is putting his stamp on this program, they sent three to NCAAs. How do you think? I know that he probably evaluates this as you know, not as good as he expected or not as much as he wanted. But, you know, how do you evaluate it? Well, John, as we mentioned in the previous pod, number one, Kerry Colat would like to see a higher team placement at the IWA championships. That means more wrestler scoring, more top to bottom success. I think, you know, three individuals going on to NCAAs, well, you know, that's good. It's not the expectation for Coach Colad, I think he wants to be getting more like five, six, seven guys through to NCAAs. The other thing is you want to be able to go into the NCAA with a higher seed. It's very tough when you're on the bottom half of the bracket. So, first of all, winning a match at the NCAA tournament is impressive. So, for Josh Coderhan and Jacob Kozer, congrats on winning their opening match. However, the unfortunate result of that, John, is that you then go up against a high seed. Almost invariably, well, in Cotterhand's 
Casey went against the number one seed, the defending national champion. And he lost that match. And the way it works at NCAA, double elimination. So, you know, he lost the second match uh, to the top seed and defending national champion. And then you go into a loser's bracket and you try to fight your way through, which is not always easy. Um, but it can be done and you can win two or three matches and maybe even get yourself back into all American at NCAA is top eight. And, uh, it's been a while since Navy had an all American in wrestling. Uh, I think that's the goal. Uh, coach Colat wants five, six, seven wrestlers getting into the NCAAs. He wants to be challenging for an EIWA championship title. And he wants to get wrestlers to the NCAA with a high seat and the, you know, single digits might be asking a lot, but if you're in 10, 12 range, you're in much better position. You are the favorite in, in the first match as opposed to maybe you being the underdog or, you know, just even like, I think Coderant was like 15 wrestling a 17 or something. But then the next match, like I mentioned, you're up against a single digit seed. So uh, I think that Coach Colat would say that they've got work to do, John. That would be my my summary. But you're exactly right. The fact that we're showing up at NCAA is the fact that we're registering victories. You know, that I believe that that betters the brand, and it's awesome to see that our athletes are out there getting wins and and repping. So um, good luck. Yeah, the rest of the way for Cotterhand, I really believe that he in the next three years is going to be the face of Navy wrestling. Uh, at, I believe, 133. What a talented, talented kid. Let's move to lacrosse. Speaking of plebes performing, Max Hewitt scored a career-high four goals, including the game-tying and game-winning goals just over 49 seconds apart to lead Navy men's lacrosse to an 11-10 come-from-behind victory against 18th-ranked Hopkins Friday evening at Homewood Field. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You get no more Hopkins. Navy outscored Johns Hopkins 4-3 in the final frame, holding the Blue Jays scoreless over the final six minutes, and that proved to be crucial, and we're going to hear from Wags on that here in a second. The win marked the Mids' first win over the Blue Jays at Homewood since 1969. Uh, as Navy had lost 22 consecutive games there prior to Friday night. Additionally, it marked just the third win by the Mids in the series overall since 1975. They won an OT in 2010, and then they smoked Hopkins in 2012. A game that featured seven ties, a back-and-forth contest. The Mids led just three times over the course of the game, the first lead coming from Xavier Arline right at the very beginning, punching in the first goal. But if Xavier was the starter, Max Hewitt was the closer, Wags. How do we do it? John, it was really storybook in a lot of ways. And the best part of this game was at the end, Hopkins got off a shot. It was wide. They had one more restart with seven seconds left. They tried to pass the ball out front. Navy broke it up, got the ground ball, game over. And Joe Amplo turned around to Commander Carl Temelevich and said, this was for you. And it was really incredible, John, because I had just written the big article on Commander T. And he graduated from the Naval Academy in 1968. Um, so the, the last win over Hopkins 
came uh, the year that he graduated. Uh, so, I mean, it's really amazing. Nobody knew more about the frustration of losing to Hopkins at Homewood Field than Carl Tamulevich. And he was absolutely thrilled. I was down on the field afterwards doing interviews, and he was being congratulated. Every single member of the coaching staff, players, everyone gave Carl Tamilevich a big hug in wake of that victory. It was a huge victory. And another interesting thing, John, is friend of the pod and Johns Hopkins athletic director, Jennifer Baker, was sitting right next to me in the press box. She had watched the game from the balcony of the uh, Cordish Center for the first half, but it got cold. So she came up to the press box and was sitting right next to me. And I mean, she's the AD at Hopkins. I know she's a Naval Academy graduate and somewhere deep inside her heart, she was happy for Navy. But the truth of the matter is at this moment, she is the Johns Hopkins athletic director and she was not happy. She was just kind of like, oh boy, this is not good. So but uh, she was down on the field afterwards having a long talk with Hopkins coach Peter Millman and should mention that Hopkins turned around two days later and lost to Delaware, which had never beaten Hopkins. So it was not a good weekend for Johns Hopkins men's lacrosse. Jack Schofield would not be shedding a tear for the Blue Jays. But um, in addition to Max Hewitt, who was absolutely phenomenal, and we got to give credit to Brad Ross, the offensive coordinator of Navy, Hopkins was using two long poles to cover midfielders. They chose to cover Pat Scowniak and Dane Swanson. So they left Hewitt with a short stick. And, and what Brad Ross, the offensive coordinator, did is he kind of changed things up to, and to get the ball in Hewitt's stick and let him work against a uh, short stick defensive midfielder. And it was a genius move, John. Um and, and that's why Hewitt exploded. He scored, Hewitt scored the last three goals of the game for Navy. So it was just a tremendous game. I was honored to be there. This is kind of the thing, when you really look at it, uh, I'm a historian. What I do is I, I record history as far as sports. So it's always incredible for me when you see something historic. So the first time for Navy to beat Hopkins since 1969 at Homewood Field, is it was so cool to be able to write that story. But the other guy we got to talk about, John, is Pat Scowniak, who we highlighted last week. He was phenomenal. Three goals, three assists. Pat Scowniak is playing like an All-American. I mean, if I had to say right now, he would have to be I know he's probably not a first team all American, but I'll be he's got to be a second or third team all American. He's not just honorable mention. He is playing at that high a level. And I'm tracking, he is on pace. If he continues to score points at this rate, he's on pace to become the highest scoring midfielder in Navy Lacrosse history. You're talking about two all Americans, Glenn Miles, who was a McLaughlin Award midfielder of the year. And Brian Keith, who was the first-team All-American, they share the most points by a midfielder, 53. And Skowniak, if he continues to put up points at the rate he is, he will break that record. And the season is young, and I think they're just getting their swag after the slow start. And I, I, I'll tell you what, I, I really think that the excitement that Amp has uh, injected into this team is making a difference. And I'll tell you, 
Wags, I was so happy that Commander T could go out that way. Friday was his last day. Chet called him up to the Twilliger Center for a surprise, like going away at around 2.30 in the afternoon. And then he gets to go up to Homewood and, and watch the band stop singing as Hopkins ended at 10. Navy ends at 11. And that's just the way it's supposed to be. Next up for Navy is Holy Cross at home on Saturday, which is like a super sports Saturday. But we'll talk about that toward the end. Swimming and diving. We also talked about how going to NCAAs this past weekend included three athletes for women's swimming and diving. Navy's Martina Thomas ended her career by placing 45th in the 200-meter freestyle Friday at the NCAA Women's Swimming and Diving Championships. She posted a time of 146.78 in the event. Also competing on Friday, Friday were Sydney Harrington, who's leaving after an incredibly decorated career, and we'll talk about her on later pods, and former pod guest Hannah Montau. Harrington recorded a time of 5241 the number six time in Navy history to place 34th in the 100-meter butterfly. Montas scored 235.20 points to place 49th in the three-meter diving event. Congrats to them. I know that Montas still has more uh, competitions left, if I'm not mistaken, in diving. Women's lacrosse. I was really happy to be there over the weekend, uh, up in the press box with Chet, with the sports information guys. To watch the women's team hit a glide slope that I, I've just never seen out of them before. And I've watched a lot of Cindy's Maryland teams crush people. This was an absolute domination from the very first minutes. Navy found themselves up 4 nothing after like literally less than four minutes. And Bucknell didn't have a chance after that on Saturday afternoon. The final was 15-3. to The mids opened the game with a 9-0 run. Then eventually got it to 10 goals right at halftime. The clock never stopped running in the second half, so it was a quick game after that. Offensively, the mids tallied 24 points on 15 goals and nine assists. Nine different mids scored, including Reagan Roloffs, who had a career-high six points, finishing the day with a Hattie and three assists. Beardmore, Dietzel, Haney, Evie, uh, they scored two goals apiece as well. And a really, really good showing from them. And next up for them is Georgetown tonight, where Wags and I will be. And then Lehigh at home on Saturday. Wags, what are your impressions? I mean, Bucknell is not a very good team. And we needed a convincing win in the Patriot League. But this was emphatic. Yeah, I did not cover that game, John, because I knew Bucknell was not very strong. I expected a, a pretty convincing victory. I don't know that I expected that. I mean, that was blowout city. I mean, when you're got running clock pretty much the entire second half, that doesn't happen too often in college lacrosse. We are going to go to break. When we come back, we are going to bring you the audio with uh, Niamat and quarterback Ty Lavatai, and then we're going to have an interview with the new USS Constitution CEO, BJ Farrell. After that, in the close, I'll wrap up what happened with baseball and gymnastics and give you my take of the week. Stick with us. This is Sing Second Sport. 
A special thank you to our sponsors at Red Red Wine Bar and Dry 85 on Main Street in Annapolis. Whether you're an Annapolis resident or if you're coming into town to watch sports or for a reunion or you just want to get back to Naptown as the weather gets nicer, my favorite is a Cabernet and a Cuban sandwich at Red Red Wine Bar or an Old Fashioned and a Dry 85 burger at Dry 85. You can't go wrong with either. Be sure to check out both establishments. And again, thank you to Brian and Lisa Bolter for all of their fantastic support. Now back to the pod. We are back. And as John mentioned in the opening segment, both he and Wags were lucky enough to participate in press conferences with Coach Ken Niamatololo and returning starting quarterback Ty Lavatai. Without further ado, here are those conversations. First up is Coach Ken. Uh, we talked to Chad at the end of the football season, at the end of the big win over Army, and and obviously the, the mood was good and everyone was happy and everyone was looking forward to what we were going to do next. Can you kind of characterize, because he had an interesting way of framing it, you know, like he deferred a lot of these to you, but also talked about how you've come together and talked about you know, what could change programmatically going forward so that we didn't have the struggles that we had at the beginning of last season, which albeit, as you mentioned, came against an unbelievably hard schedule. But can you kind of characterize how you and and the athletic director have, have kind of focused your vision on the next season coming up? Well, you know, I've had great discussions with, uh, with Chad and also our administration. You know, just, just some hard, honest, discussions okay the other two are because it's like okay in my mind there's two different things is our, our league obviously which is really really hard but we recognize we're you know we're not going to do some things at houston and you know we're um and sm uh, smu or people in our league are going to do just as far as who we are we're different people but air force and army are doing some things that we need to look at to make sure that we're on a level. All in all, of my discussions have been: I just want to be on a level playing field with them. I don't want to, you know. I'm not saying we have to have bigger, or, but if they're doing certain things that's creating a, creating a competitive advantage, we cannot let that happen. And so, very productive meetings that we had. You know, what I mean, and, you know, and like I said, Chet and I have been together for a long, long time, and so our, our discussions were very honest. We also recognize that our league is not the same. Uh, you know, I got a picture that I showed them just outside of our, you know, right down the hallway where, you know, Chris Swain is taking a run against Memphis. I think Memphis was ranked at that time when we beat them. Memphis doesn't look like that anymore. They showed a couple guys chasing them like uh, Memphis even looks a little different from that team. And so our league has gotten much better during that time. And our, the other two have gotten better, and they're doing things. And so our discussions have been, John, are like, okay, they're doing this. Can we do this? Can we, you know, from academy standpoint. And I, but I've always told our administration and Chet, I'll never compromise who we are. Because it's, it's not even, as much as I love this school, it has nothing to do with the Naval Academy. It's just me. I, I'm a person of integrity. I don't want to cheat. I don't want to do anything morally to look. I, I know I've been here, John, a long time. I can go to sleep at night. I don't go to sleep at night when, oh, I better go shred those papers before the NCAA finds it. Or, you know what I mean? I, there's, I, there's, there's nothing like that. And so I just always said, anything I'll fight for 
it's because the other two are doing it and it's legal, you know, and we can't lose a competitive advantage, which, like I said, Chet and our administration totally gets. I just want to make sure they're aware of all this stuff. Sometimes I don't know if they're aware of all the different things. And there were productive conversations. So I felt good coming out of my conversations with Chet and also our administration about things we need to do to stay competitive in our league and also with our, our two rivals, you know, for the Command and Chief Trophy. I know you won't name captains till the end of spring, uh, but are you, during off-season workouts, both lifting and, you know, the conditioning, some of the seniors that are emerging as leaders in your view? I believe so, Wags. I've been impressed. You know, we we discuss personnel every day, um, you know, so – and plus, you know, during the off-season, basically our off-season life is a really boring one. <laughs> you know, so you come in early, you have staff meeting, go over things, then we break up offensive, defense, you know, discuss football stuff. Uh, it's either – um, cut-ups or professional development, you know, go visit people or get ideas. And then the other part is recruiting. And the last part is looking at your own players. So we watch guys go left, you know, we watch them run just because we're just trying to gather data. And so I've been just impressed, Wags, with our seniors coming back. Um, kind of to Mike's question early on, we don't have a ton of them. Uh, we, we lost a ton of kids, man. It's just, it's just the way it was. Uh, but the guys that are still here, I know this, if you stayed through all of that, you're a pretty tough kid. And I've been impressed with, even though the numbers are small, they're a really strong group wags. And even some of our younger guys that played, I think they've earned some respect to wags, some of the younger guys that played, but they also recognize that it's, it's more than anything you say, it's, it's what you do. And so, you know, we've been lifting and running and guys encouraging each other to see guys run. We've been to fourth quarters, which is awesome. But also they want to see you practice too now. You, you, you can't be a guy that's saying everything, but, you know, you're not running to the football or you're not playing with great effort. So the leadership component, the resume to become a captain is still being filled out. And so I, I think guys are – there are a lot of good candidates, a lot of guys doing good things, but it's still a work in progress for a lot of them. Love that. But you, you don't want to mention any particular seniors that have impressed you? Yeah. Um, I guess on the defensive side of the ball, um, you know, the Adam Swins are always awesome. I mean, they, they work really, really hard, you know. And I, I've always been uh, impressed with Terrell and Josh and also um, Nick, Nick Straw is a hard worker. Um, Will Harbor's not a senior, but he's a guy that, you know, constantly works hard. Um, on the offensive side of the ball, you got to – it's kind of interesting, our group. I mean, we don't have a lot of talk. You know, Mark Walker's been working hard. He's, he's shown a, a great example. Our, our A-back group is a hard-working group of A-backs. Again, they don't say a lot of stuff, but you see a lot of leadership in there. Um, the linemen – uh, how do I put this? And it doesn't change. It's the same all the time. The, the linemen are just trying to catch their breath in the workouts. You know what I mean? It's hard for them to, you know, to cheer on somebody else, you know, when you're, you're trying to just make it through a workout. So, um, you know, they, they're, they're doing some diff, decent things. You know, um, 
Ty's not really a raw, raw kid. You know what I mean? That's not really his deal. Um, I've been impressed with Kai Rojas. Um, but there have been some younger guys too, Wags. I mean, they've been working hard. Like I said, uh, uh, Daniel Jones, uh, Mikhail Hayward's been doing a good job. Uh, Anton Paul and Logan Point. I mean, you know, there been quite a few. Jaden Umber been losing good. Um, John Marshall, and Given. So I, I'm just naming a ton of guys, but I don't I don't know if anybody's kind of separating themselves. So it's it's hard for you to write art because, but I've been pressed. Like there's been a lot of guys working hard, you know. So that's always a good sign, you know, when you have a ton of guys working hard. But like I said, the thing that I think's really helped us to Mike's first question is. They've tasted it. They've tasted what a hard-fought, sweet victory is like, and I, they want more of it. They're more. They're hungry for more of that. So, all these guys are pushing. So I, I've been encouraged by that. Last year, due to the circumstances, or I should say, last spring camp, due to circumstances, you were very physical. What are your thoughts along those lines? Do you think you want to have some really? physical practices and will quarterback, I guess Ty won't be live, would he? Yeah, well, I look back at, I mean, when I go back and look at our practice, it wasn't probably any different than any spring ball. We just actually had a normal spring practice. You know, I, I, when I look back at, you know, we're going to have a physical practice and I went back and looked at it. I mean, it looked at other spring balls besides the pandemic one, you know what I mean? Where we didn't have spring practice wise. And so I, I think we just continue, we'll continue to do that going against each other as much as we can, but also being smart. You know, there's a lot of rules in place that I think are good for, for us coaches so we can make sure that, uh, you know, you want to keep guys safe too. It doesn't do any good to be physical and nobody can practice. Um, we won't tackle um, Ty this year. I mean, this spring ball. I mean, I've seen how physical he is. I think, and I've said this in the earlier call, just – I really believe his run, his first touchdown run, set the pace for that whole Army-Navy game last week. You know what I mean? Just um, basically both of their safeties filled him in a hole who are really good players. I thought their safeties are really good players. And they hit him at the two-yard line, and he ran them both over and got in the end zone. And so I know how physical he is. I don't need to see him do anything physical. Now, everything else besides tackling, Wags is going to do you know, and so we're going to look at Masai, too. Uh, he's going to get a lot more reps. You know, with Xavier getting limited reps and getting lacrosse, I think it's a great opportunity uh, for him. We're also going to look at um, – um, we're also going to look at, at Kai Rojas at quarterback. You know, he was a quarterback in high school. Um, so we're, we're excited to see what he can do. He's, he was obviously one of our starting A-backs. So we'll see. You know I mean? You know, we're just – what spring allows you to do is dabble a little bit. And with Xavier not being here, it allows, allows us to, to give Masai more reps, look at uh, Kai, uh, Kai Rojas, and also some of our younger uh, quarterbacks from Isaiah to Zach to also Cameron, you know, to get a shot to. Well, I guess big picture, I mean, do you expect to install, without giving away state secrets, do you expect to do – Defensive and offensive installation of some new schemes. I mean, you all, we always do. I mean, we always, again, spring is always a time you dabble in different things. 
and we'll definitely do that wise. You know, we, you know, we visit people, people visit us, we call people, people call us. I mean, that's what you do in off season. You just gotta be careful, you know, make sure you don't take your too much, but, um, you know, it's always what we do. And hopefully um, some of the new additions or subtraction of stuff will lend to a, a good, you know, 2022 team when we open up against Delaware. And now our conversation with sophomore quarterback, Ty Lavatai. Well, Ty, why don't you talk about what you gained from all the experience you had last season, what you learned, how you're a better quarterback than you were at this time last year? Um, yeah, I think just for me personally, it's been just being able to recognize defenses. Um, that's like one of the biggest parts of this whole offense is being able to understand what defense a, a team is in and uh, what plays are best against it. And I think this year uh, I was able to see a lot of different uh, defenses thrown at me, um, definitely compared to just being on scout team. So I think just going into going into this spring ball, it's a lot more confidence in uh, my understanding of the offense and understanding of just uh, what plays are best against certain defenses. You, you grew up a lot in the Army-Navy game. Coach even referenced uh, yesterday just the way you played, the confidence you showed. You threw the ball effectively. You ran hard. You, you made you know, plays and you didn't make mistakes. Uh, how important was that game in particular? Because there's no more pressure-filled game than Army-Navy. And if you can perform in that environment, it speaks volumes. How much confidence does what happened in that game give you going forward? Um, it's a, I mean, it's a tre tremendous amount of confidence it gives us. But I think just like for that game, it was it was mainly like just going, letting the seniors go out on a, on a high note. I mean, I know the year before it was a it was a, a tough loss to them at their place, and it was like all this the amount of effort and time that that seniors put into our, uh, like building us and stuff. I felt like there was only like you had to play your heart out for them, and you had to uh, just try to do everything you in your power to come out with a win. Um, and I mean, once we did, it was probably the best feeling being able to see everyone with smiles rather than their head down. So it was definitely a great feeling. And last for me, before I pass it off to John or Phil or whomever, um, what do you want to work on this spring? What are some of the, I know you've talked to coach Jasper and coach Nehemiah. What are some of the um, focus points for you during spring ball? Um, I'd say the major, like physically probably uh, running just, I mean, that's always a thing. You gotta be try to be more explosive. Um, but just overall being a better leader. I mean, I know um, there. I know we don't have as many seniors this year. We lost a lot of seniors, lost a lot of captains um, and vocal leaders on the team. So I feel like just trying to step up and um, become a better leader for the offense and just the team in general uh, is a big point that I want to make this spring. So Wags asked you a little bit about what you're going to work on in spring ball. You know, since you walked away as the winning quarterback in the Army-Navy game to now the beginning of spring football, where do you think you've evolved? You know, you talked about you know, doing better in the classroom. What else have you improved upon as you're emerging from the dark ages, you know, here at the very early stages of your career at the Naval Academy? Um, I think just maturing. Um, I think it's it's easy to kind of, like, take it as, like, like use an excuse as you're a young person, like, young kid in the academy. And, uh, like, if you make a mistake, it's just because you're young, you don't have that much experience. Um, and I feel like I really, that's not an excuse. I'm, like, I can play, like, use that as a card now because I've played most of the season uh, so I feel like just maturing and understanding like my role uh, is like a big thing for me because I think last year was kind of just a backseat. I was playing, but just not really uh, trying to be as vocal with everything. Uh, and I feel like now it's kind of just like trying to step up into that quarterback role that uh, the Navy quarterback usually is. So, And last for me, you know, we asked coach yesterday about the schedule, um, you know, since the Army-Navy game was played and now we're talking 
uh, today, one of the big changes is that you know who you're playing next year. And, you know, coach made reference to the fact that the schedule ended last year in the top 10 hardest in the nation. This one coming up doesn't look all that much easier. Does that reinforce for you that as a quarterback, you're playing in an elite conference when you see those big games on the schedule? Does it, does it reinforce the fact that you're playing big time football? Yeah, I mean, I think I think for me, it was, uh, I kind of was, was. I mean, it's a tough schedule, but at the same time, we lost a lot of those games that we should have won. Uh, so for me, it's been like it's a reinforcer that we get another shot at it and to prove ourselves that uh, those games that we did lose last year, we could have won, and we can come back and do it this year. So I mean, it's definitely cool to see it. See those teams you like Cincinnati, who's the top two for most of the year last year. Um, but at the same time, it's also something that we want to get back to and uh, get our record the way it wants to be. So. Well, uh, in terms of, you know, how you approach spring camp, I know you won't be getting tackled. So, you know, like you talked about working on running the ball, but you don't kind of know for sure what you runs you might have broken because as soon as you get touched up, it's over. Blue whistle mm-hmm. blow. So how, how do you kind of judge how you're improving? Uh, I mean, I think for me, I can kind of like feel when I, I feel more mobile. Um I know, like, there's been moments where I've, like, when I've been running, I've been, like, I haven't felt, like, too, like, strongly in how I was cutting or how my legs are. So, I feel like just, like, feeling better about my cutting capabilities and all that stuff uh, is something that I can feel without having to get hit. And, I mean, like, I'm, I'm like, a big thing that we were talking about was being able to go full speed still and, like, not just because I'm not getting hit, like, doesn't mean I just, like, slowly run through the hole and all this. So, still treating it just like a game situation. Um, just obviously not getting like tackled to the ground, but I mean, still like, I, like I'm, I'm just going to try to take it all just like a game situation, but just, um, let up at the end. But I mean, it's all, it's all like game reps for me to try to get it as like in tune as possible for the season. So, so last for me, I mean, you enter as the clear cut starter. I think one of the reasons why coach Nehemiah is allowing Xavier to play lacrosse is because it was established in the pecking order as to you were the starter and, and therefore, he thought he you know, could afford to miss spring ball and, and be able to catch up in the fall. But I don't think you want to have the mindset that, oh, I'm the starting quarterback. Nobody's got a chance other than me. I mean, Masai Maynard is probably pretty darn hungry. It's going to be a senior's last shot. Um, and he's going to get a lot of reps this year with Xavier being out. Coach Nehemiah told us that. What, what, how do you approach that? How do you not get too high on the horse, if you, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, for me, I mean, Masai's like I, I love working with Masai, working out with him. We we try to just make sure each other knows what's going on. Um, I think for me, it's just, I mean, we did beat Army, but I feel like it wasn't a season to boast about. Um, it's something that like I feel like even though we did have like a good ending to it, it's something that there's always like there's a huge improvement that we can have off of that last season. Um, I feel like that's like the thing that's like keeping me from like keeping me grounded and making me want to do better. Like you're making sure every rep that I do is kind of like for the next season because I know how hard it is like coach Ken always says it's hard to win and I mean once you actually play in it and see it I mean it's like it comes down to like one or two plays some games and it's like you wish you could get those back and it's like that's why like during spring is probably the most important time to actually like build it since we have so many young kids this year being able to actually get a bond with them and see how how each other plays and like get a feel for it so uh, so, Ty, none of the other quarterbacks that are on the schedule uh, for next fall have a summer training plan like you have ahead of you. Uh, you talked about things that you're going to work on individually and athletically over the summer, but you also have a mandated three to four weeks of summer training. 
Um, that's an advantage the other quarterbacks in the, uh, in the uh, conference and on the non-conference schedule might think they have. You know, we at the podcast think that your summer training actually gives you the advantage. What are you hoping to do during your summer training block? And, and when is it? It's usually block zero, right? Yeah. So right now we have it. We're going on like a, a cruise. So somewhere, I don't know. We don't know where we're going yet. Um, but you get stationed with some, you get to go uh, out to some, some place wherever they, they planned you. Um, but I'm excited. I think it's, it's cool to be able to see, do stuff that not a lot of people get to do. I mean, last summer we got to go on heli or go on helicopters, go on planes, stuff that, my friends like back home would never think they would be like what would do, you know what I mean? So uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to get you a chance to be able to like, see how uh, different people lead. Uh, and then you come back and be able to kind of uh, use it again in the, in the football field and kind of be able to like, uh, you know, just see, just see all like around the world, like what, how people like, act. Cause I mean, it's different. It's, it's a lot easier to like get stuck in like one mindset when you're around the same people all the time. Um, and then you actually get to go out there in the fleet and see people who've been doing it for a long time. Uh, and it kind of gets you, gets you different experiences. So. That does it for this set of interviews. We're going to head to break. When we come back, our interview with Constitution CO Commander BJ Farrell, class of 2004. You're listening to Sing Second Sports. A special thank you to our friends at the Naptown Scoop. Hey, if you're an Annapolis resident or somebody that lives outside of Annapolis but gets back to town like me, you definitely want to sign up for the Naptown Scoop. There is not a better place online to find out the latest in local politics, sports, weather, restaurant openings, what acts will be playing at what bars over the weekend. Go to naptownscoop.com, click on the subscribe button, and start getting in the know. That's naptownscoop.com, click on subscribe. Now back to the pod. All right. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Awesome to hear from Coach Niamat and Ty Lavatai. Uh, getting you ready for, you know, the Delaware Blue Hens rolling in in September. Can't wait to get football restarted. And obviously, Coach and Ty and the rest of the team, they're working it already here as spring football gets underway. As promised, we've got a great graduate segment uh, this week. Joining us today is Commander Billy J. Farrell, B.J. Farrell, uh, was born and raised in Kentucky. She attended the U.S. Naval Academy, graduated in 04 with a BS in political science, and we all know political science majors are the smartest. She was a swimmer whilst at the U.S. Naval Academy, and she'll tell us more about that. Like any graduate who has a brain in that head, she went SWO, because we all know that SWO doesn't suck, you suck. She went out, was uh, the electrical officer on Vela Gulf, uh, became the navigator, uh, for a second tour, went on to her shore tours, department head tours, came back and was the deputy director of ProDev. Actually, when I was there as the PAO, I think for like the last year of it, uh, and then went off to Naval Surface Forces Atlantic, USS Vicksburg as the XO. And now, just in the last couple of months, has taken command of USS Constitution up in Boston. So number one, BJ, thank you so much for joining the pod. And number two, walk us through what your first couple of weeks, months in command have been like. Kind of a big PAO uh, scenario up there for you. You are now in, in the throes of it. Yeah. So thanks so much for having me. Um, yeah, the job has been has been wonderful. It's definitely been uh, fast and furious for the past couple months, uh, ever since the first press release hit. Uh, I always forget how much the country 
loves USS Constitution and how excited they were going to be for this. And so um, I've gotten to do lots of really cool things so far, and I'm looking forward to all the other great things. But, uh, you know, we, we uh, the women's hockey team actually stopped by for a tour uh, a couple of weeks ago. So it was good to start making some connections with the academy. There you go. Always giving back. So walk us through your swimming career uh, when you were at the academy. You know, what were your events? You know, we just talked about how uh, we had women swimmers, including Sydney Harrington, just wrap up their careers at NCAAs. You know, what kind of a swimmer were you? And and it, and did you ever have your time at the NCAAs? Yeah, so I swam um, mostly 100 fly. I swam a couple of other backstroke events and relays, but 100 fly was definitely the event that I, I swam most often. Um, I did not ever make it to NCAAs, uh, and I am so proud of the swim team and all the progress they have made um, over the past kind of 20 years and becoming really a national, uh, nationally recognized level swim team. And it's awesome to see that. So you go from graduating, you become a surface warfare officer. And, you know, I presume that you stood plenty of EAL watches as, uh, an engineering divo on a crew does. Um, how did your athletic career better inform you or better prepare you for success in the fleet? I'm not saying that, you know, Naval Academy graduates or athletes are going to make better divos or better officers of the deck, but how did you rely on your experiences as, as an athlete as your SWO career started taking off? So I think a lot of it just tied back to kind of the basics of, of dedication and committing to something um, you know, that wasn't always easy. And sometimes swim practice, a lot of times swim practice is very hard. And that kind of transitioned over to the, to the life of a SWO and especially a junior SWO um, and trying to get all the qualifications necessary and having to shoulder a lot of responsibility for people's lives on board a ship. Um, as an ensign, when I qualified officer of the deck, that's when, you know, the captain trusts in you enough that, that they can go get some sleep and entrust you with the lives of your fellow shipmates and the entire ship. And so I think the dedication I learned um, as a swimmer and as an athlete definitely kind of played into that and um, helped shape me and my dedication to, to becoming qualified and being as proficient as I could at my job. So now you've got to kind of pivot and put on a new hat, right? PAOs, we love, you know, the Constitution or MAG or anything that involves Comrel. You know, we, we like to say that's the, uh, the pointiest of the pointy edges of the spear. So you, you're, you're talking about all of these operationally significant things that being a SWO and being a leader puts you into those positions. And now you're pivoting and you are kind of the community or one of the community relations faces of the Navy, along with the Blue Angels and the band and everything we do to kind of wrap the public into what we do and have them better understand the importance of what we do. What is your mission? What do, what do you tell like the you know, the women's hockey team as they come aboard or the droves of visitors who want to know more about the ship and the Navy in general, you know, how, how do you take on this mantle of being a community relations leader now? Yeah, so we're actually revamping that a little bit right now. So our main mission here at Constitution is preserve, promote, and protect the legacy of the ship, as well as to give that outreach to the community and explain what the Navy does today. And so, you know, it's as simple as when I walk somebody on the ship and talk about, you know, Constitution, who was undefeated in battle in 33 battles, um, she was never captured or sunk. Um, you know, part of the reason she was so effective is because of the perseverance of the captains and the sailors. The captains ran gun drills 
on a, a regular basis so that they could put rounds out faster than their adversaries. And, you know, I, I kind of anchor on that and talk about how that translates to today when we still do combat drills. Um, and even kind of the in the lighter note of things, you know, when there's a grog tub on the ship. And so when you talk about grog and what that is and how the sailors would have had a ration of that, and we put fruit in it back in the day to, to help with vitamin deficiencies and to prevent scurvy. And then you talk about, you know, at one point when they were doing that, that means they had to pull into port to get F, you know, fresh fruits and vegetables. And now, you know, in today's Navy, we are one of the few countries that have the capability to, to do underway replenishments and refuel and restock while we're at sea, making us, you know, a force to be reckoned with that can stay out to sea and fight the fight as long as we can do that. So it's definitely interesting trying to tie that all together, but it, it's definitely fun too. And it's, it's a challenge that I like having every day. So I, I have to ask, you mentioned Grog and, and the old SWO and me immediately goes back to, yeah, like 2 a.m. in 1998 uh, on USS Kincaid as we crossed the line and became golden shellbacks. Um, a different variant of Grog goes on that night. Are you a shellback, a golden shellback? Like what, what sort of participation have you had in some of those old traditions that, you know, kind of you know, come to life a little bit on the constitution. Sure. So yeah, unfortunately I am not a shellback. Um, and so all of my, my sea time on the East coast there never, never allowed me that opportunity. I got lots of time in the, the med and the Baltic and the Arabian Gulf. Um, and so, you know, we'll see if, if that, I ever get that tradition one day, but we do some variations of those things here too, where, you know, every time a sailor leaves, we have a certificate they get presented to be that they are a true square rig sailor, um, and so we keep lots of those traditions alive where we can here with the ship. My second to last question, you were able to come back um, and, and not just come back, but, you know, be a leader in ProDev, you know, and Lieutenant Schofield was able to come back and, and start my love of the Naval Academy as, as a lieutenant in Loose Hall teaching in seamanship and navigation. You were able to come back and, and be a part of the shaping of leaders. You know, like you're right there in the same building as the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership. You know, you've got ship selection going on through there. You've got service assignment running through that building. You know, what was it like for you to come back and be a part of re-educating midshipmen after, you know, you, you had just been there about 15 years before? Was that a kind of a special tour for you? Absolutely. It was a phenomenal tour. And I think, um, you know, when people ask about that experience, I, I tell them it also reinvigorated me a little bit to go back out to the fleet and keep doing the job uh, that the Navy asked of me. And, and because the next generation, it was so nice to, to be surrounded by them and see how excited they were to serve in the Navy and how much they loved what they were doing. Um, and it almost just gave me a new energy to go out and to, to continue trying to make things as best as I could and to set that positive environment and to challenge them and push them through their careers. So lastly, BJ, and number one, I, I absolutely appreciate your, your perspective here. And, and it, there is just zero doubt that you're part of this long blue line of amazing leaders who continues to give back. You know, if you had an elevator ride, if you had a minute uh, with an impressionable, you know, high school, sophomore, junior, maybe even a senior wondering if the Naval Academy should be part of his or her um, plans for the future to be educated and go out and, and join the fleet in a very uncertain world, what would you say was so special about the Naval Academy for you? And, and if you can, what role do you still rely on or, and how much do you still rely on your experience as an athlete? 
Yeah. So I would, I would definitely encourage anybody that was interested that and tell them how special the Naval Academy is for sure. So I think definitely the relationships that you build there and that continue throughout the rest of your Naval career and just your life are special and that it's a challenging um, experience, but if you're up for the challenge, it is nothing but rewarding and positive and you come out the other side, a better person for it. Uh, and you have the opportunity to serve your country, which is also special in its own right. So I definitely would would tell them that and then just to, you know, do their research and make sure that they, you know, look at the different service assignment processes and and serving their country and what they wanted to do to make sure they got the right fit. Um, and as far as the athletic part goes, again, like I just rely so much on on those skills that I learned then and I'm still in touch. This the, There were six uh, swimmers in my year in my class. Um, and we all still stay in touch. And the first people I texted almost immediately when I found out I was selected for orders here were, were those women. And they were so excited and so happy and all said, we'll be at change of command. Uh, and it's so nice to just continue that and have the unconditional support from people who understand what you've been through and are there for you um, day in and day out. Well, Commander Farrell, I really appreciate it. It's hard for me to say Commander Farrell because then I think of my favorite uh all-time Navy movie, which was No Way Out with Kevin Costner, but B.J. Farrell, the CEO of USS Constitution, thank you so much for being with us, uh, and good luck. We'll see you back here at the very latest for your 20-year reunion here in a couple of years, but uh, until then, we uh, if you're ever in town, let us know, and we'll have you on the pod again. Thank you so much. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Commander B.J. Farrell of USS Constitution. We are going to go to break. When we come back, Wags and I will take this baby out. We're going to get a little bit more information from Wags about what spring football will yield and what major decisions lie ahead. This is Sing Second Sports. All right, Sing Second fans, before we take this baby out, a few announcements from our friends at the Naval Academy Athletic Association. Hopefully you are as jazzed as we are listening to Coach Ken and sophomore quarterback Ty Lavatai. So take that energy, take that excitement, and go to NavySports.com and get your Navy football season tickets right now. Experience the pageantry and excitement of a Navy football season by purchasing or renewing those season tickets. Call 1-800-US-4-NAVY or visit NavySports.com. And finally, another plug for the Navy sports camps. Those camps are held throughout the year and registration is open now by visiting NavySports.com and clicking on the camps tab. At Navy sports camps, every camper has the opportunity to learn from the coaching staff, develop new relationships, and understand what it takes to be a Navy student athlete. It truly is a one-of-a-kind camp experience. Log on to NavySports.com, click on the camps tab today. Now back to the pod. All right. Hey, hey, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Really good conversation with BJ Farrell. And, you know, she gave us a little information offline that 225th anniversary of the ship um, of the Constitution, maybe trying to get something involved down here in Annapolis uh, as part of that. Uh, anniversary, that would be super duper cool. Uh, let's wrap some stuff up before we get Wags's uh, impressions as we start spring ball. For baseball, after rallying with a run in the eighth to tie the game, Logan Keller, who swings a thunder stick, completed the Navy comeback over Maryland Eastern Shore with a two-run RBI double to center field, uh, going right off the wall in the ninth to give the mids a 7-5 lead. They would not relinquish that uh, out there at Purdue Stadium 
on the Eastern Shore in Chickenville. Uh, prior to this game, however, baseball dropped three of four to Bucknell over the weekend to kick off their Patriot League season. They're one and three in the league. A doubleheader against Holy Cross starts on Saturday at one. And then on Sunday, it's not the star uh, games, but it's still a doubleheader against Army on Sunday starting at two. So you can see two games with Navy baseball on Saturday against Holy Cross, two against Army West Point on Sunday. Finally, gymnastics. The Navy gymnastics team wrapped up its regular season with a very strong effort at the Air Force Academy over the weekend, uh, taking on fifth-ranked Illinois and 11th-ranked Air Force. The eighth-ranked mids turned into second-place showing. They finished behind Illinois, but ahead of Air Force, which for me is really all that matters. Uh, gymnastics will be coming home this weekend, hosting the collegiate championships right here on the yard at the U.S. Naval Academy. So before we go, WAGS, what are the things that you're going to be really looking for? We heard from Nehemiah. We heard from uh, Ty Lavatai. What were the things that stood out to you the most about what you heard as we start the spring football season? Well, one surprising announcement from Coach Nehemiah on Monday, and we all know that Xavier Arline is playing lacrosse and not participating in spring football. Now, we should mention that Coach Nehemiah said he's attending meetings and doing his best he can to stay up to date. And then when we had Ivan Jasper, he said he he's very appointed with Xavier in the meetings and making sure that he's uh, he's staying tuned in. So, I mean, it's not like Xavier's just blowing off football spring practice. He's still fully engaged. However, the interesting element is that they, Coach Nehemiah revealed that standout slotback Kai Pualoa Rojas, who made some really big plays and showed a lot of ability as a young slot last season is going to get a look at quarterback, which I find very interesting. Um, he apparently was a quarterback in the high schools, John. So that will be something to watch during the spring. And then, you know, there's some holes on the offensive side of the ball, John. They're, they're going to have to replace three offensive linemen. And to me, Pierce Banbury at center, that's the big one. So Look at watch for this battle between sophomore and they're listed as sophomores, but really they're still plebes. David Hickson and Brent Self, and then Declan Moriarty. You got three plebes are fighting to become the starting center. Now that is a crucial position in Navy's offensive line. That's the guy that kind of holds it together. He's the leader. You've had so many good centers here over the years. You think of of uh, Pierce, obviously, was outstanding. And then prior to that, Ford Higgins. So to me, that is a crucial position battle. And then, you know, we just got done talking to Coach Newberry, and he, he's he got a lot of talent returning. Because of injuries last year and other things, a lot of young defenders got on the field, which was good because a lot of experience developed. But Will Harbor, who was the Admiral Mack Award winner last spring, he will be – trying to replace Diego Fago at the Mike linebacker. That's the critical inside linebacker position who is asked to make the bulk of tackles. And another interesting, Clay Cromwell showed a lot of good things as a backup nose guard to Donald Biscuit Burnyard. And Cromwell's been shifted over to defensive tackle because another hole on the defense was Jarius Warren graduate will be graduating. And so, Cromwell and you putting him next to Donald Burnyard, that could be a real impressive duo up front 
And then last but not least on the defensive side of the ball, Navy's got to replace two good cornerbacks, Jamal Glenn and Michael McMorris. You've got two current plebes, Elias Larry and Embiidi Williams are listed atop the depth chart going into spring practice. That's another big question mark in a conference where everybody throws the ball around. Got to have good corners, and Navy's going to have some young ones. You're losing two veteran guys in Jamal Glenn and Michael McMorris. So, Wags, I'll tell you what I was struck by, and, and it was Nehemiah's answer to, you know, what I asked about, you know, his conversations with Chet and, and what they needed to do to change. And, and, you know, obviously there were concerns at the beginning of last season. There was the dust-up with IJ after the Air Force game. And then as we talked to Chet at the end of the football season, he was very deferential to Kenny in terms of what things were going to happen, like how how Kenny would change the staff. And we saw staff changes, uh, what Kenny would do with the offense. And, and we now know that he'll have a returning quarterback who just beat Army. Um, but, you know, Kenny then saying, hey, we, we need to have conversations to keep us on the level with what some of these other teams are doing. And we talked a lot on this podcast about how Air Force gave all of their guys a turn back year. We know that Army football has had their share of in the news controversy of late. What do you think in the end is going to come of, of this effort to try to make sure that we don't get left behind by programs who might not be necessarily playing by the same sets of rules? Well, I found those answers very revealing, John. You're absolutely right. That was one of the more interesting elements of that Monday presser with Coach Nehemiah, his answers to the, that question. Uh, basically, he, he is saying that he does not feel Navy's on a level playing field with Army and Air Force. And his, I mean, we, let's just come right out and say it. I think the bottom line is the administrations of Air Force and West Point are willing to do things that the Naval Academy administration is not comfortable with. A, bring back players for extra years. Army also has several, last season they had several fifth-year guys. Guys have been, what you call holdovers, turnbacks, whatever you want to call them. Air Force and Army have them, and they seem to have no qualms with, in essence, red-shirting players. So if you're a really good player at Army West Point and you get injured, they'll send you home and let you come back and have an extra year. Navy has not done that. In my entire time covering Navy, I can think of, one or two times that happened. It was back in the early years of Paul Johnson. And, you know, give credit to PJ. He was very forceful. He was very demanding. And at the time, Navy was desperate to turn things around. The program hit, hit rock bottom. So, frankly, Paul Johnson was able to get some concessions from the administration that, you know, have not been granted since. And obviously, Navy had a long run of success. And people basically said, well, why do we need to make compromises? Why do we need to make concessions? Well, we're winning. Well, guess what? I mean, it's a whole nother world. And we have talked, John, about the fact that Navy's not playing on a level field in an American athletic conference. Every single school in the AAC has fifth, even six-year players. And this is something that's going to continue for a couple of years due to the NCAA granting extra years of eligibility during the pandemic. And so, you know, it, 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 you know you're not on a level playing field within the AAC. You darn sure want to be on a level playing field with regard to your two service academy rivals or rivals. And that's what Coach Nehemiah is talking about, John. 
Wags, thank you so much for the uh, commentary there and for the evaluation. As we go out, let me give you my take of the week. And it's a quick one. On March 25th, which is Friday night, we will induct our 2021 Distinguished Graduate Award recipients for the U.S. Naval Academy. These were the 2021 DGs, and I just wanted to give a quick shout out to Class of 70, Kevin Scherer. He's the retired chairman and CEO of Amgen, former faculty member at Harvard Business School. He was the commissioning engineer of USS Memphis, a submarine, and he was a founding member of the Naval Academy Foundation Board of Directors. General Allen, class of 76, United States Marine Corps, former Naval Academy Commandant, Lieutenant Schofield got a first class ask chewing from that guy, and it was awesome. But he obviously went on to command the ISAF forces in, in Afghanistan. He was a four star, and he's the current president of Brookings. Vice Admiral Derwood Curtis, class of 76 as well. He was commander U.S. Naval Surface Forces played football, is a huge part of the Navy Football Brotherhood and a founding member of the Naval Academy Minority Association. Janie Mines was the first black woman to graduate from the Naval Academy. She's a former SES and advisor to the Secretary of the Navy. She's a current author and the Vice President of Inclusion and Innovation at Academy Securities, a firm run by former Naval Academy football player, Phil McConkie. And then finally, former uh, guest on the pod, Bradley Snyder, class of 06, the eight-time Paralympic medalist, six golds, former Naval Academy instructor. He's a current Princeton University PhD candidate. And hats off, congrats to him and his wife. New parents, they just had a baby between their 06 reunion, uh, which was in the late fall, and this recording today in March. Uh, so congrats to them for having a new baby and congrats to all of the distinguished grads going in on Friday, 25 March. For WAGS, for Chris, I'm John. This was Sing Second Sports. We'll see you next week. We're out. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this pod are our own and don't represent the views of the Naval Academy Athletic Association the United States Naval Academy, or any organization for that matter. Play-by-play -play calls from the Navy Radio Network are used in the opening of the show and from time to time will be part of podcast segments.